2: Of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional.
0: Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington.
3: man said. This is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Uh, If you hear anything on this show that you'd like more information on, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, You can go to my website at BullingtonCapitals.com, or you can call me 330-664-0700, or you can email me. By the way, there's a contact us form on the website, so if you don't uh, have a pen and paper, don't worry about it. Just go to the contact us page. And you can uh, send in a little note there, or it's bill at bullingtoncapital.com. Wow, that's a mouthful. (laughs) Anyway, just looking around, and uh, boy, the uh, stock market looks a little rough. Uh, It's been rough for uh, quite a while now. Actually, interesting, uh, the the market peaked in, uh, it looks like it was January of '22. And here we are near the end of twenty four and it's down about fifteen or fourteen percent from its peak. So not unusual, incidentally. That's not uh, you know, I think that's still after all these years being in the uh this business, that is the hardest thing for the individual investor to deal with is that the market's never gonna behave like they want it to. And it's um It's just not. And I think a big part of the reason is because, you know, 20 years ago when I was doing this, I was only 40. (laughs) Now now I just turned 60. And uh, it's a whole new, you know, every day somebody else is, you know, 10,000 people are turning 60. So I I never really thought much about that when I was younger, thinking that, oh, yeah, I forgot. You know, people are going to keep aging. So it's the people that are entering those age brackets that have to start thinking about certain things once they reach those brackets. And so it's it's not news to me, but it will be news to them. And I didn't really give that a whole lot of thought, but not up until the last few years. And uh, now it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. I I just assumed that people would study this stuff. And uh, at some point in time, I I would be relatively useless. (laughs) That's... But I can tell you, uh, the other thing that I didn't count on was the innovation that was going to appear in the financial services industry. It's unbelievable how many funds there are now. And there are more funds than there are stocks to invest in. And uh, that is just wild. And uh, by the way, the uh, uh, market cap weighted funds like the S&P 500 are typically in the top 10% of every category. So um, you hear a lot about people who exist by the index, and uh, the S&P is not really all the indexes. There are other indexes there, and I will tell you this, that the growth uh, indexes have a ten- have had a tendency over the past 10 years to do better than the uh, more broadly diversified fund, and there's a reason for that. Uh, and I, I'm going to try, I can't cover that on the radio, though. That, that's too complicated, but I'll have to try to set up a seminar for that over the next um, six to eight weeks or so, and uh, see if I can get the old gang back together again. <laughs> I used to do a seminar once a month, and then I went to once a quarterly, and then the, the pandemic hit, and uh, that stopped doing any of them. But uh, so we will. We're we're planning on another one, and uh, it'll uh, be sometime before the first of the year, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. And there's been so many developments; it is mind-boggling how fast change happens today. And it's one of the reasons that I don't uh, I don't utilize a ton of uh, price movement uh, strategies for individual stocks. I use it um for exchange traded funds and I'm trying to select those funds that I think have the best chance of performing the best over the next few years. Um, well, uh fixed income has become really attractive now. It, for the longest time, you know, I, I, I remember talking about how interest rates were gonna go down two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and everybody was upset with me. <laughs> I was just looking at the economic data in uh, looking at history and trying to see uh, if there were any similarities. And there weren't that many, quite frankly, that were that similar. And and actually, there's no time in history that's similar to what we have now. Um, I mean, really similar, not just one or two items. But but there were more items when interest rates were going to be going uh, down that this, you know, that was a good t- thing to do uh, at the time was to buy long-term fixed income because when interest rates go down, it goes up. But you can't stay there forever because now that the uh, interest rates moved against that, they they went they well, they went down a lot. Bond prices went up, and then they reversed, and interest rates started going up. And then bonds have been horrible. I mean, it—I I expected it to be bad. I really didn't expect it to be as bad as they've been. That uh, mind-boggling. I look at the aggregate bond index. It peaked in 2020. What year is it again? <laughs> it's almost 2024. So it peaked in 2020, and it's down off of its high price there—that the price of the bond. Aggregate bond index fund is down about 24%. That's mind boggling. And the uh, AGG, that's the one from BlackRock, uh, the other one from Vanguard, uh, the one from BlackRock is down 22.5% from its peak. Just it's mind boggling that that has been so difficult. Uh, By the way, when at some point in time, I don't know when it's going to be. And they may end up having to continue to increase interest rates, which means um, those bond prices probably going to keep dropping over the next year or so. And uh, it makes it really tough if you're not holding onto super short-term bond funds. If the average maturity of the bond in the in your portfolio, and by the way, most people need somewhere between 40 and 50 percent. Into fixed income, just to keep their sanity, because if you were 100% in stocks, you'd be whipsawed all over the place. Now you can do that if you have enough money and don't need to take out more than two to three percent of your assets a year. That's fine, but if you're withdrawing anything more than three or four percent, you can't afford to be 100% in stock because you could end up getting a big dip that takes 10 years to recover, like how the market peaked in year 2000 and then didn't get above that level and stay above it again until, uh, 2010 or 11. And that's if you reinvested your dividend. So if you were taking any money out of that, holy cow, there's the, uh, there are a lot of older people that are working now because they didn't know what I just talked about. And, uh, they, a sequence of events risk, it's what they call it, it's a timing risk. You know, you get to retirement, you want to start taking out money, and hey, the stock market's averaged, you know, 9 or 10% a year, if you, yeah, if you look back far enough. But it's also had 10-year, multiple 10-year periods where the returns were negative. And so it's had 10-year periods where the returns were awesome, and uh, the average has been pretty high. But it's so volatile, but if you're taking money out and it drops like that, you're gonna have to cut way back on your lifestyle, and that's that's what everybody wants to do in retirement, right? <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, my point here is that you have to be careful. You've just got to be careful. There was an old rule that to take your age, subtract it from 100, and then you could put that in the stock market. That's okay. Uh, that would have a 50-year-old. Um, 50 from 150, you'd be roughly 50/50. 50, 50. That's, not, that's not that bad, but uh, 60 minus 100 is 40, so you'd only have 40% of your money in stocks. That's still pretty good. I mean, it, that's actually not a bad. <laughs> it, I think it's working better now than it has in the last four or five years. But if you knew nothing else, okay, if you knew nothing else, take a look at your portfolio. Uh, if you're more than 60% invested and you're above the age of 60. Maybe you should take another look at that. That, that. That's all I'm saying. And on that fixed side, on the fixed income side, you do not want to buy the highest yielding stuff. I'm telling you, I got an email from a longtime client who's a good guy, super smart. And the people, those stories that you read, I am so glad he wrote to me because he's looking at this fixed income fund. They were saying they were paying out some crazy amount, 9 or 10%. And I'm like, all right. See, I know how they do that. And the risk, and by the way, this was in a major financial publication. By the way, the major financial publications are all struggling. They're all struggling because nobody's buying magazines. Or there are some idiots out there like me who still buy them. (laughs) But I am the minority. (laughs) Most people are not buying magazines anymore and the uh, um, they're not getting a lot of ad revenue for that. So they're online, and the magazines are all there. Every article you see published in their magazine is typically either online right after it publishes in print or about the same time. So anyway, I'm looking at this article, and it's from a very uh, famous financial publication. How good it is, eh, that's debatable, but the uh, anyway... It's, a, uh, it's famous, and the articles written and the people are very good writers, and uh, they were talking about this bond fund. Is if yeah, hey, look at this, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I've seen this so many times. It's not, it's just not funny. And what they do is they'll go out and buy junk bonds, um, or uh, they'll take on debt that's not even rated sometimes and if you read through the whole prospectus which incidentally nobody does except for idiots like me the uh, uh you read through the whole prospectus you find out that yet some of the bonds are, are not even rated and they're quote they're, they're basically short term loans directly from the the fund or another institution and uh that the fund purchased it from so it's a direct obligation of these companies and if they go belly up by the way you get to stand in line as one of the creditors, okay, and that—that's my uh, point here—is that the risk in these things is astronomical. If you see something that's got more than a five percent guaranteed rate, okay, if it's got if it's a couple of percentage points more than five percent, I should say, so somewhere around the the seven percent range, there's risk. There is a there's a lot of risk there and I don't care what the prospectus has in it and what they've written in it, there's risk there. There's no way to get that type of income without taking that kind, of, without taking a fairly substantial amount of risk. Okay? Unless you decide to take a fixed annuity, which is an insurance product. It's not a bond. Okay? It's actually an insurance product. What you're doing is you're insuring your income They have fees for that. The internal expenses on fixed annuities are relatively high. Why? Because they pay a lot of money. That's why. And and (laughs) when you're paying out a lot, you have to charge more. And uh, it's just the way that it goes. But that's why it's so important that you get the guarantees down because that's that's the whole idea behind insurance products to begin with. You pay a premium for a guarantee that's what you're doing. In this case, you're guaranteeing income. Okay. Uh, the If you see how the investments grow, that the growth rate on these investments is not going to keep up. It's my opinion that it won't keep up with the guaranteed amount. The guaranteed increases that they're making uh, are probably going to be Larger than the increases in the portfolio values. That's fine. That's why you buy it for the guarantee. You hear me? What I'm saying? The uh, the underlying investments are probably going to be beaten by that. The guaranteed amount's probably going to go up faster than the investment does, uh, which is fine if you're looking for the income. And that's what we buy them for. That's why I bought mine. I don't care what the I could care less what happens with that money if, if it surprises me and does better than the guaranteed. I'm happy because I was happy with the guarantee. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll give an example. Somebody's going to be 67 next year. You got to wait for one year to turn on the guaranteed income with this particular product. So they put in a uh, what did I start off with? I don't know why I start off with. That. Hang on a second. I'm going to rerun this thing, and I'm going to start off at age 66. You've got to wait for 12 months before you turn on the income. We put in $100,000. By the way, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. So next year, I'm going to be able to get $7,750, and that's going to be a guaranteed income for the rest of my life. Now, if you want to play around on this website that I just pulled those numbers up from, just email me. Uh, or call, and uh, there's a website there. You can go and put your own numbers in there. I just put these numbers in because I like to uh, play around with it. I'm looking at the clock now. I've got about, I don't know, probably 60 seconds left or so before I have to take a commercial break. But um, this is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Uh, You can find me on my website at BullingtonCapital.com if you want more information about this or you'd just like to set up a... uh, quick phone meeting to talk about it. That's fine. Uh, a lot of people have just emailed the this link and let them uh, get on there and play around with it themselves. That's fine too. And um, at any rate, the uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about this when I come back from the commercial breaks. We'll talk a little bit about stocks, which sectors are looking strong right now, despite the fact that the market's been going down uh, fairly significantly. And uh, where I think I might see some light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, I think uh, I really should be having to take a commercial break here, but uh, I don't hear the music. Mm-hmm.
0: Catch me when I fall.
4: Because of the huge demand, Crab Fest has been extended at the lobster pots in beautiful Willoughby Hills. And here's what you got one and a quarter pound jumbo Alaskan snow crab legs, which come with two side dishes. Forget this, only twenty five dollars. And hey, If you still feel hungry after that, order another pound for only 19 more dollars. And as far as their other items on the menu, it's endless with pretty much every type of the freshest seafood in the city. And if you're not a fish eater, they have several meat items on the menu too. And don't forget about the Lobster Pot's beautiful enclosed outdoor patio for all of those beautiful summer and fall evenings. That's Crab Fest at the Lobster Pot. Open Wednesday through Sunday for dinner. Call now for reservations at 440-569-1634. That's 440-569-1634. Or go to their website, thelobsterpot.com. From an idea that started in 1967, Our Lady of the Wayside has grown to serve almost 900 children and adults with developmental disabilities throughout Northeast Ohio. It's an operation that is still growing thanks to tremendous support and generous donations like the Wayside's car donation program. You can donate... Donate your ride to the Wayside for a great tax write-off by calling 1-800-368-6262. The Wayside is also looking for people to join their team. They hire for attitude and train for skills. Visit thewayside.org to apply today.
2: for more details. Or you can visit our website at vacationfixation.com or check out the deal of the day on Facebook,
1: Vacation Fixation.
3: back. Hey, this is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. And uh, you can reach me by going to my website if you'd like. My website's BullingtonCapital.com. If you have any questions, you can email me, Bill at BullingtonCapital.com. And there's also a contact us form. You could type the question out uh, on the website. In fact, if you do have a question, um, that would be great if you could go there and type it out. It's hilarious. (laughs) I get people contacting the office quite often, but they never write down what, what their question is. And um, as you know, it's very difficult to get a hold of people today uh, because they got all kinds of, you know, it's just more difficult than it was back in the days when we had landline, and uh, which is mind-boggling because it should be easier to get a hold of them. <laughs> Talk about uh, history not coming around like you think it would that, and that is the uh, I see that happening so many times, especially in the uh, in the stock market. You know, there are companies that you think are going to be gold, you know, or just they turn out to be, you know, used radiated lead. <laughs> and then the other companies that you didn't really expect to do that well end up doing fantastically. That's one of the reasons um, I really like the uh, ETFs when I. I was thinking about this the other day. When I first started Bullington Capital, it was back in 2004. There were only a handful of exchange traded funds. And I built my own models, and I was running them off of this platform on this company that uh, would allow you to put in the stocks uh, that you wanted for your specific model and build your own models, and then you could run it that way. You can still do that. But what happened was, the exchange traded fund industry, it had finally dawned on them <laughs> that they could do the same thing, and basically anything you can dream of has been invented. And it's out there, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, I see some funds that just they don't make any sense whatsoever, but the fund companies saw a demand for that product, not that it was a good investment. They saw that there was a demand for that product, and so they would make these products so that the investors could, could buy them. And I'll give an example. Those gold funds, um, I want to touch them with a the 10-foot pole. I would buy gold. You know, why would you not just buy the coin? Because if you saw the internal expenses inside those gold funds, you're not going to make any money on that, it's, or it's going to be very Difficult to make any money at all. And uh, uh, anyway, yeah, somebody goes, yeah, but look at the the gold trust that came out. It's up 322% since it first came out. Um, it came out in 2004. <laughs> That's a long time. <laughs> and the uh, gold itself has gone up a lot more than the fund price has. So it's cost you a, a fairly significant amount of money to do that sort of thing. Because, it's, you, because somebody has to store that gold someplace. We have got to pay for that. There's insurance that they have to pay on that as well. So I think it's just uh, it's kind of funny, but uh, not everything is as it seems. Although the information, if you have enough time, and you have enough energy, you can find out everything there is to know about any of these funds. It just takes an enormous amount of time. And a lot of energy. It's, uh, and if you're not uh, adept at reading financial statements, well, two, three years from now, you probably will be. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so I just lost my whole uh, train of thought there. Oh, yeah. I was talking a uh, little bit about uh, old lifetime income, uh, setting up lifetime income. It's very important as you start to get closer. To retirement age, and uh, by the way, you know when you should start planning on retirement when you're 12. <laughs> Every time I say that, people go, "Oh, come on!" And I know, and the average person doesn't start planning until they're in their 40s, uh, if even start then. So, and what they don't understand is that it, it takes an enormous amount of money to be able to replace your income. Now, the average household income is a little over 70000 in this country. That's the average household income. And uh, sometimes it's one worker, sometimes it's two. And, uh, but that's the average. And think about that for a second. In fact, I'm going to have to, uh, pull up my, and I can't find it, of course. I was going to pull up my calculator. The, uh, so let's say somebody, average household, let's say you just want $50,000 in retirement need 50000 plus whatever you've got uh, in pensions and Social Security. You need $50,000 a year in income from your investment to get to the place that you'd like to be. So if you have a million dollars and you stick to the 4% rule, that's taking out 4% because you're going to increase it over time because of inflation. And if you took out a lot more than 4%, especially if you're under the age of 65, there's a pretty good chance that you could run out of money. You don't want to do that. So we're going to just stick with the 4% rule. We're going to take up 4% and then earmark that to go higher. So, and, uh, In fact, to keep my math simple, let's say you could get by on $40,000 from your investments because you've got Social Security uh, and a small pension, and, uh, which is pretty common around uh, Northeast Ohio uh, to have that type of uh, income. So to generate that 40,000 bucks, you need a million dollars. 40,000 is 4% of a million. And you're going to have to invest that million. Uh, well, today you could actually do it. You you can get money market accounts. I think our highest money market account, it's over 5% now. But the thing is that's not going to, uh, that may not go up enough to keep up with inflation. And that's, that's pretty big. If you took a uh, hundred thousand of it, put it into one of the nationwide uh, products that I like, yeah, you have to put a lot less money in to be able to generate that forty thousand. Let me see. I, should, I probably should have. I'll come back to that on the uh, uh, after the next commercial break. But one of the advantages of having a product that's going to pay higher than that, and I think at that age, if I'm not mistaken, I, I know it's over six and a half percent is what the payout would be. So, what does that mean? Well, I'd say at 6.5% on a on a million, well add 65, that's 65,000. That's $15,000 or $25,000 if you need $40,000. $25,000 more than you need. Okay? But it's going to stay that way. So, you may want to put that money some of that money aside just build up, you know, shore up your emergency fund or even start another investment fund because uh, you know, for emergencies and inflation, but uh, this gives you uh, pretty good options because the higher the income is, the lower the amount of money that you have to have to meet those income goals and you know it just makes kind of common sense right now, and uh I was just looking at a uh, uh I'm getting distracted here by all this stuff popping up on my computer screen. <laughs> They must know I'm on the air. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, there's, a, uh, uh, there's a story in Bloomberg on Bloomberg about uh, uh, everybody needs mutual funds now, but nobody wants them, and uh, they're giving some advice out as to what they might be able to do. And in the realm of all possibilities, incidentally, I've been thinking about that a lot this past week. There are so many options available and so many personality types I, I really don't think that out of the we we service about a, uh about 150 households okay so the uh um i don't we, no two of those households are the same that is the uh, mind boggling to me anyway out of the uh households the people that we were working with no two of them are the same in fact I don't have the only uh, there's a a small collection of investors where one party, either the husband or the wife takes care of the investing and the other one doesn't know, doesn't want to know. They leave that at, you know, that's not my job. (laughs) And uh, I think that's kind of funny. Those are the only households where the husband's accounts look like the wife's account because whoever is, controlling that is controlling it for both of them. And uh, that's not as common as it used to be. It used to be really common. It was either the wife or the husband. By the way, the women had a much better track record than most of the men did. I mean, it was eerie. <laughs> and uh, so I was always glad when uh, when I would sit down and talk to a new client and the female was in charge because uh, I knew they were probably going to make more money. But uh, And uh, males get all upset by that, by the way, every time I say that. And I'm like, well, you know what? I can't. Here's the thing. Uh, especially in the generation that was just like one before mine. The generation just up ahead of mine. Those guys were, uh, uh, I don't know, a lot like Fred Flintstone. <laughs> they had hard heads. And uh, you had to have a hard head to survive in the era that they survived in. It was not the same thing it is today. Today, you've got to be really smart, got to have a good education, you got to work your butt off. Yeah, but back in those days, you could do it with just guts. <laughs> just show up, go to work, get get the check and save. And uh, um, I'm not sure which is better. I have no idea. But uh, but anyway, that's, that's the way it used to be. And today, people are much more thoughtful. Um, the income equality is much closer now between male and female. A lot of females make more than males do. Yeah, so it's just different. And uh, the access to information different. Uh, the amount of material, like the stuff that I started off with, where this guy is definitely making you know he's twisting the words around to misrepresent stuff. That happens much more frequently. And uh, I just can't imagine having to go through, because when I started, the the Wall Street Journal was it. I mean, you had a local paper that had a small finance section in it, but everybody read the journal or Investor's Business Daily. And uh, so it wasn't like you really had to know uh, as much. There were only, I think, 1,500 mutual funds around. Um, There were 10,000 stocks on the New York Stock Exchange, by the way. But to, today, those numbers have flipped. There's only about three, a little over 3,000 stocks that are big enough to be included in one of the indexes or be listed on an exchange. Okay? A little over 3,000. There were well over 10,000 know, back in those days. And there were only about 1,500 mutual funds and exchange-traded funds hadn't even been invented yet. So what's my point? Well, we had to learn a lot about a whole lot of different things back in those days. Today, it's all out there, but it's very tempting not to read it and just invest in it based on its track record. That's a bad idea. That's a horrible idea. But that's how most people that are are doing their own investing, that's how they're doing it. They're looking out at its track record as if that's written in stone for the future. Bad idea. I mean, really (laughs) bad idea. And uh, then when they uh, uh, get stung, you know, a lot of them call me. And unfortunately, it's not going to be as easy to get the money back as it is to lose it. And that's a, uh, that scares me a lot. They're not teaching this stuff. They should be teaching it in high school. It's not super... Uh, they're, they're teaching programming in high school. They can definitely teach this kind of stuff. Let me put it that way. Is it uh, difficult? Is there a lot? Yeah, kind of. There is, but what are your choices? I mean, in America, you got to learn how to drive a car too. Maybe if you live in New York City, you don't have to, but you better be making a lot of money to live in New York New York City. But it's just one of those things that I feel like the educational systems just they're they're overlooking it completely, and uh, they need to start incorporating some of this into their curriculums and I know teachers they feel like yeah right we got enough to do and you're right I get it teachers today it's it's mind-boggling kind of stuff that they have to do but that doesn't mean that you you should shun this completely and I just don't see a whole lot of classes being taught that are extremely helpful or even very helpful for kids and they're their minds absorb the information much better when they're in their early to mid-teens than they do when they're in their 40s or 50s. You know, it's just how things work. So anyway, I'll get down off my uh, <laughs> off my stump now and uh, start to talk about uh, some of the other things. Um, by the way, again, going back to that income, uh, if you can take out 4% a year plus inflation, you're doing pretty good. Uh, what really helps to being able to do that is if you had a large portion of your money uh, that was that you were that was giving providing guaranteed income that's higher than four um, percent. That's what the annuities are for. They're higher than four percent. They're extremely competitive now, and they change by the way, just like uh, treasury rates change. The, the biggest difference, though, one of the biggest differences that that rate is is going to be good for as long as you own it. Okay, so if you live to 150, um, you know, 1st of all, congratulations. Secondly, the uh, uh, you're still going to need money. And insurance companies are on the hook to pay that for as long as you live. And I just here, I've only got a few seconds before I have to take a real quick commercial break. So... I'll just point you to my website. If you hear something that you want more information on, my name is Bill Bullington. The website is BullingtonCapital.com, and there's a contact us page there. Uh, Reach out to me. I'd be glad to hear from you, and I will be back right after these messages. This is the
0: story of a runaway no way home and no way out i threw the best of me away i had not my chance it's too late now three words
2: far. my dad drummed into us boys all our life the three words that define why it works consider it done we talk a lot about wallakadoodle which is making it feel like everything was fixed by magic. But that's really the icing on the cake. The cake itself is consider it done. Because a plumbing problem's a rather unpleasant interruption to your day. Nobody calendars in time to deal with an unexpectedly broken water heater, or sewer line clog, or a burst pipe. So what you want, in one sense, is to have one of our straight-talking, hard-working, do-it-right plumbers fix it for you. But really, you want the whole issue taken off your plate. So you can get back to your regularly scheduled life that's what consider it done means as soon as you call us you can consider it done problem solved fixed and fixed right so the next time a plumbing problem interrupts your day just call us and consider it done
4: at WyattWorks.com.
1: You've heard the saying, all good things come to an end. Well, not always. Sometimes they just take a break. That's what's happening with our Lady of the Wayside's car donation program after 24 years and 96,000 rides donated. Pretty amazing. Here's the story. The car lot's owners sold the property, making it impossible for car donations to be accepted at this time. According to the Wayside CEO, Terry Davis, the next right steps will be determined and communicated soon. So stay tuned. In the meantime, Terry and the entire team at The Wayside thank you for your continued support of the 450 individuals with developmental disabilities in The Wayside's care. And please take note, you can still support them by making a donation at thewayside.org.
3: We're back. Actually, I just uh, answered an email live during the show. <laughs> now, I can't always do that, by the way, but uh, just so happens today, I've got all my equipment up and running right in front of me while I'm uh, doing the broadcast, and I'm actually broadcasting uh, from a from home. So this is pretty neat. I'm a uh, really big fan of an awful lot of technology. Some of it drives me crazy, <laughs> but you know, I guess you got to take the good with the bad. Anyway, I'm I'm running another illustration here, and if you have, if you'd like to call into to the show and ask me uh, about your own situation, I, I can run this while we're doing the show. So here's the one I'm running right now: uh, the assets dedicated to lifetime income. I just put $100,000 in there, and I'm going to do a joint. And I'm going to assume that one of the spouses is 60, and the other is 57, and that they are going to start to draw income a year from now. Okay. So, uh, by the way, this just take works off the younger spouse's age, incidentally. Um, there's a uh, uh, there, there's a whole bunch of reasoning behind all that. We'll come back to that later. So I've got. Let's see. One hundred thousand. One spouse is fifty-seven. The other is sixty. And we're going to start taking income from it next year. And so, if I wait a year from now, that one hundred thousand uh, dollars. Remember, the person one person is fifty-seven. The other one's uh, sixty. So, younger person will be fifty-eight, and they'll get five thousand seven hundred fifty-six for life. Now, that's for both of them. If one of them passes away, the other will. Well, actually, there are a lot of different options on it. You know, they could continue that income if they wanted to. They could take a lump sum. The lump sum might be higher or lower. There's no penalties on taking lump sums and stuff like that. You know, some, when somebody inherits it, and uh, that's for a joint. So, and those are pretty young people. If I go back and let's see, I'm going to change this one. Hundred thousand dollars. This one, this person's single, and is sixty nine. Going to be seventy next year. puts a hundred thousand dollars in. So the sixty nine year old, because they're a little bit older, uh, when they start taking at age seventy, which is the the longest you can defer taking your Social Security, then uh, their income off the hundred thousand is eight thousand two hundred fifty six. That's pretty good. That's really good. That, that's a guaranteed lifetime income. Uh, so as long as they live, again, they live to hundred and fifty, uh, they are still, still entitled to that income. And uh, it's pretty good. Uh, it's actually one of the better rates that I've seen across the entire country with a company who's A-plus rated. Now, that, that's kind of a big deal to me anyway. Uh, I want to make sure that the company is solid financially and A-plus is a really good rating uh, to, to have. And those are from insurance company ratings, by the way. So if you have a question on these products, you know, like again, feel free to reach out to me. Most people, the reason I started doing these, I've, I've gotten a bunch of uh, uh, questions. Hey, Bill, you used to talk about stocks all the time. Now you're talking about these fixed annuities. Yeah, well, there's a reason. Uh, and the reason is, the returns that are they're guaranteeing on these products are going to be incredibly difficult to match in the stock market. I still have 60% of my money in stocks. Actually, it's closer to 70, 75, but the, uh, um, which is not like 100, which I used to be. <laughs> Why was I 100? Well, I was younger, and I feel like I know what I'm doing, uh, and I don't panic. So... Uh, when the market goes down I just stop looking at my statements I stop looking at the account balances I, I, following the markets I know approximately how much I'm up or down and uh, so I don't actually check the balances until the markets had a good rally <laughs> and I would by the way the people that I've seen that have done very well in markets that's kind of the same thing that they've done uh, and uh, I get it uh, it's very difficult when you see that you know the s p 500 was 14, percent higher almost two years ago now. And that's tough, but not the first time this has happened. And in the long run, you look at that graph over an extremely long time period, yeah, nothing else has kept up with it, and that's the price. The price you pay is you're going to have a lot of fluctuation. When you get too old to do that anymore, or you feel like I'm tool, your tool to do it, and that's the, the biggest um, part of the equation. If you feel like you don't want to go through that route anymore, that's why these other products are so important. And there are a ton of people. The fastest-growing segment of the population is 60 and over. Every day, 10,000 people turn my age. So uh, you get to my age and, you you know, body's aching <laughs> like it's never ached before, The uh, especially when you played Division One football for five years. Yeah, I've got amazing injuries that I've forgotten about. And then when they started hurting again, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But uh, uh, anyway, <clears throat> it just starts to remind you, you know, I'm probably not going to live forever. And I would like to have uh, a little bit more income. and unlike old annuities, when uh, old annuities, when you died, the insurance company oftentimes would keep the money at whatever the balance was. These don't work that way. Uh, These give a really nice income. And when you pass away, if there's still money left in the account, because it is invested it's an investment account, if there's still money there, then they'll give your beneficiaries the balance. So that's, you know, that's pretty good. I'm looking at this going, why? Why weren't these around when I was really young in the industry? <laughs> that would have uh, shoot, uh, would have been very helpful, <laughs> put it that way. So yeah, if you if you want more information on that, it it's it's a really good deal. I think that's my personal opinion. Uh, I think given all the other options that you have, uh, yeah, if you're you know, I I will always have. Uh, a stock portfolio that's overweighted in growth stocks. Well, I shouldn't say always, but because I don't know what the market's going to be 10 years from now, things might have changed. Um, the reason I'm saying growth oriented stocks today is because over the past 10 years, the algorithms that algorithms are just math formulas, they're like recipes. So the recipes for most of the funds that have done very well or have done are up in the top 10% are using speed, like how fast the stock goes up. They call it capitalization. They don't realize they didn't realize when they were doing this. You'll get a lot of people who think they know a lot about investing uh, that will argue with you over what capitalization means. Just ignore them. <laughs> the uh, uh, Capitalization is basically how much is your stock worth? Let's say your stock was you had a billion shares out and it's ten bucks a share. Okay, so the stock's capitalization is ten billion. Billion times ten. Okay, And the the billion the ten dollar share goes up to twelve bucks. Well, guess what? Now all that stock, twelve bucks times a billion, is twelve billion. So you just gone from a billion, I'm sorry, yeah, no, one point two billion. So you've just gone from one billion to 1.2 billion because the stock went from 10 to 12. Does that makes sense. If not, and if you're driving, do not try to write this down. You can just call me. I'll walk you through it. I don't want you, I don't want you wrecking. because yeah, uh, I know myself. Actually, I try to do it in my head, but which is also very dangerous because you know you're driving and that's uh, just a good idea. Just give me a call. I'll, I'll walk through the math uh, with you. So anyway, when you use capitalization or you use the value of the stock of the company as one of the criteria, what you can do is you can segment yourself into large, medium, small cap. Uh, You can, um, and they just rank them, they rank them by their sizes. If you add the speed to that, the capitalization uh, actually overweights those that are worth more than the others. So if, if the share price has gone up, it's going to actually add to that holding. So it, it's got a, a momentum factor. I don't think they thought about it. I'm absolutely positive that they didn't think about that when they put these indexes together. They were just trying to get some idea of how to represent what was going on in, in the stock market. Uh, and this is what they came up with. So that's fine. And that's actually all the S&P 500 is, the top 500 by size And that's it. They, they don't look at sales sales growth, profitability, none of that other stuff. My favorite funds look at the companies who are big for their category, the largest ones in their category by size, but also have profitability. And some of the really good performers have a dividend requirements. So if you want to be in in that exchange-traded fund, you have to be paying a dividend and your sales have to be growing by a certain percent, and your profit margins have to be growing or, or at least maintaining themselves. That's a uh, uh, I really like that combination, and it's had really good long-term performance. It's had a tendency not to be down for quite as long as uh, some of the others that only use size and speed, um, and uh, it's had a tendency to recover a little bit quicker. Uh, the uh, last ten years. Um, they're hanging in there very close. They haven't they haven't been the best performers in ten years, but they're right there. I mean they're within one percent. And I'm I'm just telling you, when the market goes down, those stocks typically are the first ones to come back. So I just got the heads up that I've only got about fifty seconds here before I have to go. So I'm just gonna let you know this is Bill Bullington. <clears throat> go to my website, bullingtoncapital.com, if you want to reach out to me. Other than that, have a good weekend everybody. Good luck. Good investing.
2: The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.
0: Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel
1: world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of
0: the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn